What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. I've got a great episode in store for you today uh, and a whole bunch of fun stuff coming down the line. And this is all made possible by my good friends at KEH Camera, the world's largest buyer and seller of used camera equipment. You know, I just love their mission to make photography more accessible to everyone by selling certified, fully warranted used camera gear. Their collection of gear is insane, ranging from vintage film equipment to some of the latest DSLRs in the market. Uh, they got it all, and it's all up to 40% off of retail value. So it's really easy to find the camera that fits your needs with KEH Camera. I recently had the opportunity to upgrade my own gear, and they made it so easy. Uh, I talked to a gear expert and who's also a photographer, which is amazing. Like, How often do you get to talk to somebody who also is a photographer online? And I uh, was able to pick out the perfect gear, and they work with me. Um, to kind of understand what my needs were, what I was trying to do. You know, I talked about the podcast, you know, potentially starting a YouTube channel, headshots, all this different stuff. And they were able to work with me to put together a kit that perfectly met my needs. And uh, over the last couple of months, I've been using it with my personal freelance clients, um, with my friends and family. And it has been so exciting to dive back into photography. And, you know, with this new gear from KEH, I really feel, feel like there are no limits as to what I could do. So, you know, I'll be documenting that in the coming months. Be sure to check them out at KEH.com and use my code ROBJ11 to save 5% off your first purchase. Once again, that's ROBJ11 at KEH.com and you'll save 5% off your first purchase. And without further ado, here's the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today, I am joined by the one and only Julie Zhu, VP of Product Design at Facebook and best-selling author of Making of a Manager. Julie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Rob. I'm really excited to do this. As I was saying to you before the podcast, I love Facebook and believe firmly in the, you know, the utility of it. And I'm the kind of person that's like super involved in like groups and stuff like that. I think I'm pretty sure it was you actually that got me on to designers guild was that you yeah maybe i think you had mentioned it in like in like a talk one time and i just love groups and facebook live I've, I've always been kind of an early adapter and to discover all that you had you know had done at facebook whether it be working with reactions and stuff um i definitely like look up to you and uh i'm really honored to have you here on the show today so let's dive into it uh, all right let's you, do it Thank you're you. an og of facebook a very young but a, Nonetheless, an OG at Facebook. You were there when it was the Facebook, correct? You're like ground floor, a hundred people. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Did you like work like hand in hand with like you know Mark Zuckerberg at that time, or was it that small? Or at that time, it was starting to kind of grow even. Bigger? Oh yeah, no, I joined when it was about a hundred people. Right. Uh, so we all fit on one floor of a building. Uh, the design team was actually already quite sizable. It was about five or six people oh when I joined. God. You know, and that just goes to show you that uh, Facebook has always invested, you know, pretty early on in design and design, not always just like, you know, because back in those days, uh, you know, when it was still kind of the earlier days of the web, a lot of times people thought about design on the web as like you're making these, you know, beautiful marketing pages. There weren't that many right. interactable applications yet. I think Facebook was one of the first, but we were very much um you know, our little like small team was all about, you know, product design and getting people who had experience not just with marketing design websites, but actually building interactions and experiences. I understand it's your life. So it's kind of hard to like to see it from like an outside perspective. But does it kind of blow your mind now that like you were like, essentially like an intern in school and you kind of like got into Facebook. And then now Facebook has become like, 
all that is everything on the internet. Like it's, it's gotta like really like kind of blow your mind. What, what has it been like to see that trajectory and, and going to work today must be so different than it was when you first started. Absolutely. Are they comparable or not really? I, the way I describe it to people is it, it kind of feels like I've been at four different companies and right. it just happens to be, you know, one company. But when, uh, you know, an organization is going through such scale as, you know, we've seen here over, you know, the past little more, more than a decade, then, you know, the things that you get used to just as quickly change, right? So, right. you know, everything from like where you sit, you know, how many people, you know, like the kind of vibe of the cafeteria, right? Every mm -hmm. year, like even very basic small things like that are changing, uh, not to mention, of course, the products that we're working on, the right. uh, design problems that we're tackling, uh, or even just like the processes, you know, like how we run meetings, how we, uh, you know, end up doing something quite simple, like making an icon, right? Like today, the process for doing that is very, very different than when we started. You know, for people that are kind of in that position, just starting out, that was a good segue. I don't normally have good segues, but I feel like that was pretty good. Anyway, <laughs> um, but for people that are just entering the field and they're in that situation like you were, where you're kind of just finding yourself trying to join a startup or you're trying to um, get your foot in the door at a big company like Facebook. I know you give a lot of advice on like your medium channel and stuff like that, but could you give maybe some um, advice for entry level people just coming in? The thing that I, you know, I, that, that I felt like I was very lucky to sort of find myself in this situation was to be in an environment that was really all about learning. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's honestly what matters the most when you're young and you're just starting out in your career. It's really getting experiences that are going to help you learn and grow, right? It's not necessarily about proving yourself on day one. I actually think when people come into a job and they're like, I got to prove myself, I got to, you know, oh. like show everyone that I'm great, then the worst. they kind of close themselves <laughs> off to experiences, uh, you know, where they might not feel totally confident, but then they won't, you know, volunteer, they won't do it, they won't mm. like ask questions, they won't, you know, seek out people who are a little bit further ahead in the journey and uh, can, you know, be a good sounding board or a good mentor. So, you know, the way I look at it, it's like, just go and, it, you know, the decisions that you make around exactly what you're going to do or, you know, what is your career, like, you don't have to know what the answer is at right. 22 or 25. You don't, you don't have to know the answer when you're just getting started. But what you should do is like, ask yourself, can I be in an environment where I'm learning a lot and where, you know, in one, two or three years, I'm going to have all these experiences such that you know, at the uh, other side of it, I can come out and, and, and tell myself or learn more about myself. I can then have a better understanding of what is it that I love to do? What is it that I'm, you know, naturally stronger at? What are the things that I need to work on? And uh, also, what are all of the options and opportunities, you know, out there for me to explore? Right. Maximizing your learning is, I think, the single best thing you can do in uh, when you just are getting started in your career. One of the things that I've been trying to get across in the podcast recently is um, kind of kind of just like having those conversations centered around learning, centered around kind of, you know, like a nuanced conversation, sort of like the one we're having right now, where there's not like it's not a transactional thing, but it's a, it's a learning thing. Um, but one of the things I remember about going uh, and getting a tour of the Facebook headquarters in San Menlo was that it seems super intimidating because it's like, on the one hand, it's super inspiring and you get to see everyone, you know, there's a, it, it's grand and it's huge and the scale is like, it's so hard to wrap your head around kind of thing. It's, it's almost like disorienting sort of, but I would imagine if you're someone who's just coming in to a company such as Facebook or Google, you know, wherever, 
Um, how can you go about making those relationships when it's kind of, you know, everything is telling you like, don't, you know, that's Julie's you don't approach her. She's a VP of design product. <laughs> like you're like, you will be fired if you try and talk to her. I'm sure, I'm sure that it's encouraged that community is encouraged and stuff like yes. that. But that's, it's one thing for the management to encourage. It's another thing for someone to like, you know, just yeah. entering to go out on a limb and say hi to you in the cafeteria kind of thing. Right. Is yeah. that, no, it, is that a good thing? Is that something that exists? Be honest with me for real. Like if someone comes up to you, are you kind of like, well, like know your role? Or well, no, is it, I, <laughs> I'm excited. Like I love yeah. actually meeting designers. You know, I, I it, it is funny because you're, you are right that like, you know, I will, for example, in the past, I've often done things with my team where it's like, Hey, I'd love to do office hours, you know, like love to come meet you. Let's like, you know, have a chat right. and it's like sort of open sign up. Um, not that many people take me up on that That's and so i think it's a little bit of the uh you know vibe that you're describing with you know and i remember when i was you know interning at microsoft like there was a similar feeling right you know i had gone to do a summer internship at microsoft microsoft was a very large company you know at the time right the tens of thousands yeah. of people you know i walk in it's obviously a huge company it has this you know long and storied history uh and everyone else who seemed like they had been there for much longer and were way more experienced and you know were were much better at what they were doing. And I, I had a, a very similar experience where I was like, I don't know who I can go talk to. You know, I'm just like this, whatever, 20 year old, like who, who, who am I to go and like, you know, actually ask for help or, or advice or feedback. But right. I think that is the narrative that we tell ourselves in our heads. Right. And that is, you know, I, I know that being on the other side of that, you know, as somebody who, um, I, like, I love it when people come and ask me for advice or help or when they send me an email or where they, when they, you know, uh, sign up for office hours and they want to talk about their career because, yeah. you know, like I want to be able to help other people, uh, yeah. but I can't if like no one is asking any questions or no one, you know, uh, is comfortable enough to kind of put themselves out there and be like, Hey, here's what uh, you can do for me, or here's what you can help me understand, or here's like some advice I have for you on what, you know, we could do to make our design team better. So right. I think that the people for whom, you know, uh, do end up growing the fastest are the ones who don't let this get in their way. Right. Because yeah. frankly, when you let, when you, when you're like, Oh, I don't think I could go talk to X or Y. A lot of that is like fear talking, or a lot of that is, is sort of, you know, right. maybe your, your uh, ego, assumptions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're, you know, you're like, you, you know, you don't necessarily think you like they want to, or you don't want to maybe be rejected or whatever it is. Right. But like, right. what's the worst that can happen if you go and you, you know, email someone that you admire and you say, Hey, you know, I, um, I, uh, you know, really, I think it's awesome that you do X or Y. And I was wondering, you know, like, can I pick your brain about something or, you know, right. would you be able to offer feedback? I mean, the worst that can happen is you'll hear no. Right. And that's fine. You know, like, and, you know, it, it, the other person is obviously not obligated to uh, spend time with you or, or do that. But right. a lot of times people will say yes, you know, yeah. even if it's 30 percent of the time. And if you never ask, then you'll never get that yes. And also uh, the follow up is so important, too. Like I, I kind of like towed the line in messaging you. Like I probably messaged you like four or five times, which is ridiculous, but I made sure that I kind of like spaced it out and stuff like that. Like that. I, I feel like people don't realize how busy some people are and the importance of the follow-up and they just like wrap up their self-esteem and it's like, well, I'm not going to message them again because then I'll definitely get that email. Like, who do you think you are? Yeah. But you're never no, going to get that email back. You're never going to get that email. Because it's not going to, you know, like if they were to come back and be combative with you, then you'd be like, oh, okay, like wrong, you know, I've gone down the right. wrong turn. I'm right. going to go find more cool people. 
But 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 that, that's it. like the worst thing that you can hear is no, and that's not so bad. Right, and you might hear yes. That's what's so crazy. Yeah. Like you might sometimes hear yes on the first one. Like I yeah. I send out at, like every couple every few months. I just send out an email to like Mark Zuckerberg and his team. And it's just like, it's the odds of that happening are like never gonna, don't worry, I'm not gonna be gross about this and try and get you to do it, don't worry. But I'm just saying like, the odds of it happening are slim to none. But like, damn it, I wanna know. Like if, if he's like the kind of guy who like checks his inbox, like I want to know. And I think that's a, a mindset. But I just remember being in, at, at Facebook headquarters and thinking to myself, oh, this is different. Like if I got here and was in the room with these people, I'm no longer in the Trojan horse of having a podcast. And, and it's kind of cool to hear from you that like you're encouraging that and wanting that. But yeah, as long as your because, intent is right too, right? I think the intent is everything. Yeah. Agree, agree. And I think if you put yourself out there and you go and, you know, you're seeking ways to learn, to grow, you know, you're persistent about that. You're not, you're not letting your ego get in the way Then you're going to see you know, uh, returns from that. You're going to see people, uh, you know, you're going to see opportunities open up. You're going to see uh, people, you know, say yes. You're going to have great conversations and you're frankly going to get more learning. And I think that is an important thing to, you know, continually put yourself out there and just not be afraid of, frankly, you know, people saying no. And yeah, we're all human beings at the end of the day. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just a, it's just a title. Yeah. That's so cool. I love this. This is awesome. This is like what I'm trying to prove on this podcast. So I want to talk about your book, obviously, uh, The Making of a Manager and what it's like to be a manager. I'm at a place now where I, uh, I had been like a freelancer for a while, and now I'm kind of going down this entrepreneurship road thing with the podcast, just kind of testing and doing all these things before I have kids and eventually have to like, you know, have a real game plan. <laughs> but, um, you know, being a manager and overseeing people and overseeing their livelihood, having to fire people. I can't even imagine what that's like and have a great deal of empathy for people that have to do that. So uh, what makes a great manager? That's such a hacky question though. I feel like that's like the radio guy question. It's like, what makes a great man? So what we're here with Julie Zhu. So what makes a great manager? (laughs) But for real though, like, like, what are you trying to get across in this book? And like, you know, on, on its best day, what are you trying to, what point are you trying to drive home with this book? The first thing that I really want to, you know, make sure everyone understands before we even get into talking about what makes a great manager is what is management. Uh, And the reason I always talk about that a lot in my book is like, because frankly, when I started, I don't think I really knew what management was. Like I knew what the actions were that managers took. You know, I knew that managers interviewed people and managers fire people and managers promote people and they run meetings and they make decisions like, but those were all actions. I didn't really understand like, well, what is, what do all these actions ladder up to? Like, what's the, you know, big idea at the end of it. And, um, now having done this job for, you know, uh, over 10 years, uh, I think the answer is actually quite simple. The manager's job, and you have to actually really understand this because otherwise all these actions like almost seem meaningless, you know, they're like, you're checking off a box, but they're not, you know, you understanding like the why of it. The why of a manager is like, you're, you're just trying to get a group of people to accomplish something together and to get great outcomes right and right. you get to you know def- or you or, or or the structure of the company or organization that you're a part of defines what great outcomes look like right it's obviously different for every single team your goal at the end of the day is we have this group of people you know and we're all trying to do this thing together first you have to be like what is that thing that we're trying to do together and that's purpose right so mm-hmm. the most the first you know uh 
let's say there's three ingredients, uh, buckets of things that managers need to do in order to be successful. Okay. One of them is purpose. It's defining what are we are like as a group trying to do together? What does success look like? Like, do you understand what success looks like? Do I look, understand? Are we like having the same definition of success or do you think something completely different than, you know, this other George over here. Right. And right. so that's one of the things that managers need to do is just be like, all right, guys, like we're all here in it together. This is what success looks like. This is how we know we're doing a good job and to just keep everyone aligned around purpose. So right. That's the first thing, purpose. The second bucket is people. I actually think people is the most important of all the buckets uh, because you can't get things done if you don't have the right talent. Um, so having the right talent means like, okay, so, you know, if you're, let's say a conductor for a symphony, right, you gotta be like, I have enough flute players, you know, I have enough, um, bassoon players, I have enough trumpeters and they're like talented, you know, they're not whatever first grade level, they're like, you know, professional players. And so it means you have to go out and recruit, you have to track great talent, you know, you you have to give your trumpet player feedback if he keeps like playing the wrong notes, you know, you have to be able to help. My wife is actually a music teacher. She's a, she teaches in the marching band. So this is a very, this is right on the money. This is a a apt analogy. Great. Yeah. So, you know, making sure that you have the right talent, that you can coach the talent to play to their strengths and, uh, you know, do things that kind of, you know, help you achieve this purpose or this outcome that you've defined. So that's the second bucket. And the third bucket is process and process is just defining how people should work together because, you know, you might have very, very talented, you know, uh, people who play various instruments in your band. But if you, let's say, if you put the tall players in front of the short players and they can't see the conductor, then you're not going to get like great music because right. you know they can't see what the the conductor's signals are, right? Or right. if you don't necessarily have like this is the an right amazing amplitude. analogy. This is like so clear. You're so good at this. Oh my god, this right. is great. You know, but you know, you have to also have like what's the process for when people come in? How do you know? Like, do they? Can everyone? understand what the signal signals the conductor is signaling me, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that's what process is, right? It's defining, um, the how of how all of these people should work together and what are the norms for solving a problem or right. what should happen if like this thing, uh, you know, this like, you know, uh, fire occurs, like who should put it out? Like it's making sure that there are roles, there are norms, there's protocols, you know, there's things for like, when this happens, what should we do? So that's right. process. So those are the three levers. That's just what managers should think about all day long. It's purpose, people, and process. I'm curious to know about kind of like how the products kind of come to to life in Facebook. I know that sometimes you do things like internally um, and you test it like with your own families and with your own friends and stuff like that. I saw that was pretty cool. Um, So when you're rolling these products out and testing these and overseeing it and managing, um, how does that all work? Yeah, so when we think about, you know, designing any new product, right? I think the most important question that we have to ask ourselves at the very, very beginning is what problem are we trying to solve and for whom are we trying to solve it for? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So yes. you need to go into it before we end up even being like, Hey, I got a great idea or I got a great solution. Or, you know, I'm like thinking about live or groups or video, right? Mm-hmm. It always starts with a problem and an audience and the more specific, the better. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, it's very easy to throw around the word people. We have a user base of over a billion, but it's like very hard to know what to do with a number that large because a billion is extremely abstract. You can't, can't imagine think about that. 
a billion people. You know, I think like in my head, like the most I can imagine, it, you know, that I can actually visualize is probably hundreds of thousands, right? right. Like, like flying like over large... like LA at nighttime kind of thing, and right. then think about a billion. That's insane to think about. That's so crazy. Right. And, and when you when, when you start to use really big numbers like billions or millions, you know, they become almost abstract. Like you're, there's no longer mm -hmm. a like specific kind of person in your mind. It just becomes like, you know, this like amorphous space. And right. so it's hard to build products. You right, can't yeah. just be like, I'm going to build products for quote, quote, people or for like billions of people. You have to go back to like what kind of people, you know? And so whenever we start a new initiative, right? You know, one of the, I'll give you an example. We um, launched dating. That's something new that came out on Facebook earlier this year. I got the you know, exclusive. No, I'm just kidding. Let's go. Yeah, no, <laughs> we, we, we have to be like, well, who, you know, what kind of person is like maybe most inclined to do this, uh, you know, to use this product? And, you know, we try and, you know, really understand that audience. And then we go out and we do research, right? Um, and mm -hmm. we go and talk to that audience. So we'll talk to people who are, you know, in the dating market. We want to talk to people who are already kind of familiar with online dating, right? Because if you've never online dated before, I don't, it's like you you're probably less likely to try out this completely new thing, you know, from, from Facebook, right. uh, which I understand, like, what are the, you know, problems that you're encountering in your current products? Um, and from those problems, we then look at, okay, what do we think we can build given, uh, what our, our strengths are, like what right. makes it, what, what, uh, Facebook's unique, uh, maybe advantages are in terms of what we can build. And, you know, if you look at dating, one of the advantages is like, well, first of all, what's great is like a lot of people actually weren't like surprised that Facebook would go out and build, you know, a dating product because yeah. Facebook is already about relationships. It's, yeah, it, it seems natural. It's for different, sure. I think. If you were like, right, if you were Google and you were building a dating product, people would be like, "Oh, that's interesting," because like yeah. Google doesn't do that sort of thing. But yeah, it was yeah. like, "Oh, that's already what friends are," right? Right. The other thing is like, we found that there was a lot of power in the kind of friends of friends network. Mm -hmm. of date of daters, right? Yes. That um, a lot of people wanted to, they, what we heard was like, people didn't want to date their friends, you know, uh, or in a lot of cases, you know, that almost like was maybe too close uh, of a, of a group, but they right. were interested in like, who did their friends know? Because that was like a, you know, uh, a pretty large dating pool. And we felt like we could, you know, do a better job of maybe helping Fun to match fact, My wife and I, uh, my wife was a friend of a friend on Facebook and come to think of it, if not for Facebook, I probably would not have met my wife. That's insane. That's so crazy. Keep going. <laughs> well, exactly. So, you know, this is sort of the, the like, uh, us going through the process of basically starting with, like, a problem, you know, a target set of users, people who are interested in dates who are already, you know, kind of familiar with online dating, figuring out, like, talking to them, figuring out, you know, what are their problems, like, what would make them be excited about a particular product, and then figuring out what do we think we can do that's maybe unique or that's better than other competitors in the field uh, that can help solve this particular problem. And so that's a lot of how we end up, you know, that, that that's like our process for uh, the start of how we design products. It's like, we don't try and go straight to like sketching what a solution is. We try and spend a lot of time on, you know, understanding the problem, the audience, and making sure that we're all really, really aligned on the philosophy of, of uh, building this particular product. Yeah, for sure. Something I think about a lot is people entering the field. Um, it's compared to nothing. I remember like when I first went to New York City, and I'm sure the experience is just the same in California or wherever people are listening from. Um, just having it be compared to nothing. And then like people asking like, oh, what do, like, what do you know? Like we need this skill set. 
like what do you know and what you know is like next to nothing and then you kind of have to have that it's so cliche and overly used but that fake it till you make it thing you know that's something that's real and i think that this the whole like faking it till you make it implies that you're kind of just like getting by whereas i encourage like no like look stupid but have people like laugh and then show you and then you'll know and then you can grow up from that point i think the part that i like about fake it till you make it is that you should raise your hand and try for things, even if you don't think, you know, you have, um, you've like, you're perfect for, for that opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you, you, you take some risks, put yourself out there a little bit more. But the part that I, th- I don't like is, I think it, you don't need to necessarily pretend. Um, oftentimes you'll learn a lot more if uh, you just ask questions and you don't pretend like you know what the answer is if you don't, because I actually think humans are pretty good at sniffing out, uh, oh, you know, yeah. a, authenticity from others and if you just kind of come off not particularly authentic and because uh, you're pretending I it actually I think um, I think other, a lot of times people can tell and uh, it, it you know can go against you a little bit but if you yeah. say look I actually you know don't really know the answer but I'm down to learn and I think I'm you know a fast learner and I think I could do this and get better at it and I want your help then oftentimes you're going to get way more help Exactly. Yeah, I went to, uh, I had a live podcast in San Francisco. It was my first time ever going. By the way, love San Francisco. If you guys are listening from San Francisco and you want to have a live podcast, let's talk after the show. But, um, you know, I went to Facebook for the first time and I was like, I want to work at Facebook. I want to work at Facebook. And my friend who was giving me the tour was like, well, why? And I was like, like, what would you do here? And I was like, well, I'd be like a designer. Yeah, but like design what? And I was just like, I don't know, but like, I want to find out. And then I kind of just went around and it's like, was super hyped the whole entire time and then got back on a plane and thought about it. But it was kind of like just be allowing myself to be there and admittedly be like, I have really no business being here, but this is the coolest thing ever. And like kind of peaking, I think it's really important to be around people that will help to like peak your curiosity as well. You know what I mean? Did you have people in your journey that were, um, you know, like great mentors or maybe someone to give you, like, you know, the first person to give you a tour of like Microsoft or something? What was your? I, I want to know what you were like before you were like the the legendary, you know, the the queen of Silicon Valley, like you know, crushing the game. Oh gosh, I mean, I, mean, I felt like I just did <laughs> like everything wrong <laughs> when I was just starting out. Um, let's see what. Well, let's. Uh, okay, you said so you were scared to show up to work every day. I don't believe I this. Was, I'm trying to. I totally a... was scared to show up to work every day. That's crazy. I totally just felt in over my head for like years, you know, like really years, like honestly past the point in which even, you know, I, I think. Like, like I'd like been doing the like job for like seven years. And you were just like, I don't Yeah, I was already leading teams at Facebook and I still felt like I didn't know what I was doing, you know, um, uh, on most days. Or I still felt like, you know, kind of really nervous about, uh, about like, you know, very common things like running a meeting or, you know, interviewing a particular candidate. So, you know, all these things just get easier with practice. And right. I think that's basically the, uh, I think the story of, you know, working at a startup or any startup or, or an especially a very fast growing startup is that you're just going to be doing things that you've never done before. And you're probably going to feel really uncomfortable and you're probably, you know, going to feel like out of your element and maybe you're not prepared and you're definitely going to think that you're not the best person to do this, right. which is probably true because there are probably people who can do that particular thing that you're doing far better. But the thing is, it doesn't matter. Like all of those narratives don't matter. Like those people aren't in your role. Like you're the one in your role. So, right. you know, go and make the most of it and go and figure out. Yeah, you have to be there and like be in yeah. the meeting. Yeah, exactly. Like go and figure out how to get better. Right. And, you know, don't pretend like you're great if you aren't, because if you aren't, then you aren't. That's OK. But 
tell yourself, hey, I'm not great yet, but through practice and through me working hard and trying, I will get better. And every time I do this, you know, is another way that's like another step on the path towards like getting better. And that's true for like literally anything. You know, I used to be frankly, really, really terrified of speaking in public, uh, you know, doing this podcast, I could tell you that, you know, seven years ago, this would have been like horrifying for really? me, you know, really, really <laughs> Yeah, some people are really nervous when I interview them. I'm, I'm, I, I have to, a lot of times, the first 15 minutes of just putting people at ease. And they're like, right. you know, people that are like leading the biggest companies in the world. I'm yeah, just like, it, so I mean, weird. It, like nobody, I mean, okay, some people are born and they're like just very comfortable in front of large groups of people, right? That wasn't me. And that's not many, many people. That's not many of us. Um, but the thing is, anybody can get more comfortable because if you do anything a hundred times or a thousand times, it's not going to be as scary the thousandth time that you do it as the first time. So, right. you know, in some ways you can almost think of it like a game, right? You're like, mm-hmm. okay, if I just sign up to do a hundred podcasts, I am sure by, by the time I finish my hundredth podcast, it's going to feel a lot more natural. I'm yeah. going to be... You know, uh, a lot more at ease talking. I'll probably have, I'll do a better job of making better points. You know, again, I yeah. might not be as uh, the best I'll podcaster. Try, I'm trying my best. I don't know if it's right. <laughs> right. But you know, you probably feel the same way having like, I'm much better now for sure. If you so can, if you can believe that, I feel like I'm actually a far better communicator now. So last question, and it's kind of one that just for my own personal curiosity, what is it like when you're at a place like Facebook and you've been there from the very beginning and you're overseeing all this stuff and there's constantly people moving and changing. And I can't help but think about like the pressure of somebody like, like Mark or, or you know, Cheryl Sandberg or something. You know, I read option B and t- talking about having to go to work and dealing like with grief and stuff like that. And, you know, there's so much pressure. There's so much that's on the line. Do you ever have days that you feel like it, it's kind of difficult to show up and be that, you know, great manager person? And when you're in those situations, um, how do you kind of overcome that feeling. Right, right. And I mean, those days are real. I think everyone feels them. And I don't think they just feel them at Facebook. I think you feel them at anywhere you work. I can't think of a single company or organization or profession in which every day you show up and it's like sunshine and roses and you never have any bad days and you right. never feel, you know, anxious or uh, stressed out or, uh, you know, kind of like maybe you don't really want to go to work that day. Right. Right. Yeah. I Cause it's, you're in an everyone, intense field. Right. Well, what helps me oftentimes is just to, uh, the first thing is just to kind of get grounded in like what matters to me. Right? right. And oftentimes I think if we're not, we don't know for ourselves, like what, what it is we really want or what our intentions are. It can be very easy to kind of, you know, be bent by the winds of what's happening around us. But right, I think like if you go back and you look at like, right. look, what are my priorities? Like I want to be great family person, right? I want to be a great mom. I want to be, um, you know, having this time in my family. I want to be a learner, which means that I want to continue to be humble and just, you know, be grateful for the opportunities I have, but Mm -hmm. still challenge myself to learn and grow and, and take on opportunities. And I want to treat people well, you know, that's, that's, I feel very lucky to work with, um, you know, wonderful, talented, amazing human beings and treating them well also means that like we respect each other as people, not just the output of our job, right? Sometimes Mm. we have bad days. Sometimes, you know, we fail at certain things that we're being asked to do. I know I've failed a number of times, you know, in my responsibilities or have had things not go as well as I would have liked, 
But right. that's what it means to be human. And I think, uh, you know, caring about people means that you see that in them and you can express that vulnerability in yourself. And, you know, what ties you together is sometimes more than just that you're trying to, you know, achieve this thing. It's actually respecting and just enjoying the presence of being able to work with the people that you work with. Yeah. Kind of like lean on each other and realize that you're not in this like permanent thing, too. Like I, I love when I went to Facebook, there's the the hacker way sign on the back of it. It's not covered. And like Mark Zuckerberg was talking about how like even like, you know, it, it was Sun something or other. Oh, yes. It's Sun Microsystems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Sun sign. Microsystems. And like it's not covered in the back. And he purposely didn't paint over it because he wanted to like state that like no matter how big Facebook gets that that nothing is, you know, everything is finite. Everything can move. Right. Everything can like crumble. So yes. it's like important to like, you know, maintain the relationships and the empathy for the people around you and to not lose sight of the fact that like this company could go down and like, you know, would it be worth like not yeah. being there for the person to the right and the left of you? And the answer is like, no. And I was like, that right. is so crazy. Right, right. No, it's a great reminder. I mean, this is the thing. In Silicon Valley, things change so quickly, right? The biggest yeah. co companies today, many of them didn't exist five, 10, 15 years ago. It's crazy and out there. You guys are crazy. New Yorkers look at Silicon Valley in awe of like how big it is, how insane it is, how many companies, how right. cutthroat it is. There's and TV shows about it. Like there's no TV, <laughs> you know, we had Mad Men. That was it. That's all right, we got right. in New York. But it makes it, you know, it makes for a very uh, dynamic <laughs> and exciting place to work. I mean, we have a sign, you know, at Facebook as well. That's like every day feels like a week. And if, it's very, very true in, mm -hmm. in so many ways, you know, that, um, so much change is happening, um, but also, you know, the things that you do every day, they won't stick around forever. Like nothing we design is, you know, likely going to even be the same or the same code or the same pixels in five or 10 years. But it's the process and the journey that really counts. Yeah. Uh, and, and those little dumb moments with your coworkers where it's like, right. you know, like someone's like crying or something and you're there for them. It's like so weird to think about, like no matter how big it gets. Like we all kind of have, I talked to Chase Jarvis about this recently. It's like, no matter what the semantics are, you know, Facebook, whatever, Google, biggest companies in the world. It's like, we as human beings all kind of have like these core tenets of like empathy and kind, you know, you could also yeah. be, you could be a miserable person as well. I mean, it, it works the other way, but you know, they're really, it's kind of cool that uh, we can have so many different backgrounds and stuff like that, but all kind of have this common goal of like making the world a better place. And I believe that Facebook does that. I really do. Yeah. All right. That's it. Where can people find you online? What's the best place to get in touch? I, your Medium mm. series is incredible. Yep. You're so I write a lot. I blog a bunch. I've been doing so for five years on uh, Medium. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. My handle in most places is J-O-U-L-E-E. -E. And check out my book. Nice. If you're a manager or you're interested in management. I will make sure that I put the link and everything in there. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep rocking. Yeah. Cool. Thank cool. you so much. Bye, I think you're doing an awesome thing. And uh, yeah, continue to kick ass. Thanks for listening to this episode of Meet the Creatives. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you're following along on Instagram, Meet the Creatives NY. And thank you again to my partner, KEH, for making this possible. Use the code ROBJ11 to save 5% off your first purchase at KEH.com.